Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 118. All of the Passover week events from the official Second Temple Pharisaic calendar and the unofficial Sadok Base 7 solar calendar, both of those calendars converged within 48 hours of each other in what we would call year 27 of this common era. Shalom, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 118 and part 5, an analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and third-day resurrection. On part four of my study in this podcast series, I presented a general structure of how day-to-day calendars functioned among the secular Romans, the religious Judeans, and the priestly classes in the communities of the Qumran and the regions of the Dead Sea. If you wish, please go back to part four and pick up a refresher from this program series if you think you need to do so. In the meantime, however, I am going to continue now with part five in this series and look into the Base 7 Sadok calendar and how it defined the timeline of events that shaped Yeshua's last Passover week. Let's first take a look at the definition of the term hour in the time and ministry of Yeshua. Now, the term hour in the ministry of Yeshua had multiple meanings, physical, spiritual, and, of course, prophetic. But as a literal timekeeping expression for the hours of a day in our natural world, one hour did not necessarily equal 60 minutes as we know it. Of course, today we have precise computer technology that tells us when we have passed through 60 minutes. However, in biblical days, one hour was based on the movement of the sun, and it could mean as little as 40 minutes or as much as 75 minutes, depending on the time and season of the year. So let's take a look at what Yeshua said about this in John 11, 9 through 10. Yeshua said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Specifically, these words of Yeshua are a reference to what he called the sons of light in John 12, 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, this is the same teaching that Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5, which I have abridged for you here as a reference only to verses 1 and 5. If you want to know the detailed context between those verses, just read it on your own. But here are verses 1 and 5 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times 
and the seasons, brethren. You have no need that I should write to you. Now verse 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. These statements from Paul and Yeshua are quite unmistakable because contextually they are both speaking about Second Temple period calendar disputes. The sons of light, or those walking in the light, is a pointed reference to those who observe the times and the seasons of the solar calendar taught by the house of Tzedok, whereas those who are walking in darkness are those who observe the times and seasons of the late Second Temple period lunar calendar taught by the Purushim or the Pharisees. In other words, it is a clear and unambiguous message that Yeshua and Paul were both speaking about referring to followers of the solar calendar belonging to the sons of light. This is patently clear because of their use of the terminology times and seasons, which we know from Scripture means the biblical Moedim or the biblical festivals. Those observing the Moedim according to the house of Tzedok times and seasons were called sons of light, whereas those who walked by the Pharisaic times and seasons were called the sons of darkness. This is why the Gospel of John made repeated references to the lunar festival events of the Jews, saying they were, quote, of the Judeans, or of the Jews. And you can see that in passages such as John 11.55 and John or Yochanan 19.42. Now, it is also important to note that in those ancient times, long before the precision measuring instruments of today, a sunrise was called the first hour or division of a day, and sunset was called the twelfth hour or division that begins the night. Together, they define one day, always beginning with light, during the Jerusalem summer months, beginning with what is called the summer solstice, a 12-hour day was in reality about 14 hours from sunrise to sunset. So when Yeshua referred to a 12-hour day in summer, in reality, he meant sunrise to sunset with 12 divisions of approximately 75 minutes each. In the summer of Yeshua's ministry, the longest day would begin at or before 0530 hours local time and end at or beyond 1930 hours or 730 local time. Now, compared to the Jerusalem winter months, beginning with what is called the winter solstice, a 12-hour day meant 12 divisions 
beginning with sunrise, with one hour being approximately 40 minutes. This meant that Jerusalem's shortest day would begin at or after 0630 hours local time, and the day would end at or before 1630 hours, or what we would call 430 local time. So based on the solstice events in ancient Israel, the term 12 hours meant 12 divisions beginning with sunrise and taking in between 75 and 40 minutes per division from the summer to the winter solstice, and between 40 and 75 minutes per division from the winter to the summer solstice. So let's keep these things in mind when we read passages such as John 11, 9 through 10. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Again, referring from sunrise to sunset. And Mark 14, 30. Yeshua said to him, referring to Kepha or Peter, Assuredly, I say to you that today, this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I'll be talking about this idea of the rooster crow or the cock crow later on in an upcoming episode. So stay tuned for that. Let's now go on and talk about the House of Tzedok 7's solar calendar, or what I sometimes call the Tzedok Base 7 or 7's solar calendar. Determining Yehovah's biblical festivals, often referred to in Hebrew as Moedim or divine appointments, this was a unique attribute of the Qumran communities and of the sectarian groups among the regions of the Dead Sea. They who dwelt in those areas of Judea referred to themselves as Jehovah's sons of light. Why? Again, because they were among the adherents to the base 7 Sadok solar calendar, established and passed down and taught by the authorized priests of the house of Sadok. The Qumran 7's calendar, or the base 7 calendar, this was never based on counting days between sighted moon faces from the so-called dark moon conjunction or even the new moon crescent based on alternating moon cycles of 29 or 30 days. In other words, the amount of light reflected off the various faces of the moon never determined the definition of what the biblical texts would call a chodesh, or as we simply say, a month. Instead, one moon cycle, or one month cycle, was always 30 days in length, never less and never more. Relying on this paradigm required no court witnesses to testify what they saw in each month as it was in the late Second Temple period of Judaism. Every month, starting with the elder of each pair of witnesses, the court would ask, Tell us how you saw the moon. In which direction was it? 
in relation to the sun? Was it to the north or south? How high in the sky did the moon appear to be? In which direction were the tips or the horns facing? How wide was it? Well, after they had finished questioning the elder of the two witnesses, then they would bring in his partner and question him in similar fashion. If the two accounts corroborated, the evidence was accepted and their testimony produced a Rosh Chodesh. The head of the Sanhedrin would then proclaim Mekudash, meaning sanctified, and everyone would respond Mekudash, Mekudash. Furthermore, searching out and establishing the growth state of the barley stalks in a field, they too had nothing to do with establishing the arrival of a new year. The measuring of time from month to month or year to year was based on the movement of the sun. And this is the one thing that opened my eyes to the biblical paradigm because of what I saw in the texts of biblical prophecy. Permit me to explain briefly some of the biblical evidence that turned me away personally from nearly 30 years of faithfully following the Second Temple period Pharisaic cited new moon calendar. You see, when looking into Hebrew scripture, the one thing that came to be glaringly evident to me is that of how a day, a month, or even a year was defined. Let me give you some examples that really shocked me to my core and caused me to rethink this entire calendar issue for my life. Genesis 7.24. This identifies five months of 30 days each, and it equals 150 days. Devarim, or Deuteronomy 34, verse 8. This refers to one month of exactly 30 days. Daniel 7.25. Now here is a reference to time, times, and half a time. And that equals 42 months. And it reads, Then holy ones shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Let's go now and connect that to Revelation 12, verse 14, where it reads, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent. Let's take a look now at Revelation 12, verse 6. This refers to 42 months of exactly 30 days each, which is the total of 1,260 days. It reads, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, and they should feed her there 1,260 days. Revelation 11.2 This refers to 1,260 days, which is divided exactly by 42 months of 30 days each. It reads, But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, 
for it has been given to the Gentiles or the Goyim, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Let's take a look at Revelation 13, verses 4 through 5. This is a reference to 1260 days divided by 42 months of exactly 30 days each. It reads, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Now to Revelation 11, verse 3. This also is a reference to 42 months of exactly 30 days each, which is 1260 days. It reads, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Let's take a look at Daniel 12:11. This is a reference to 43 months of exactly 30 days each, which equals 1,290 days. It reads, And from the time the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, 1,290 days. And then there is this from the book of Hadassah, or Esther, chapter 1, verse 4. This references six months of exactly 30 days each, which equals 180 days. It reads, And in those days when King Ahashverosh, and I'm giving it to you as it would appear in Hebrew, King Ahashverosh sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the citadel, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days. So, based on a 30-day chodesh, or a 30-day month cycle, the numbers always tell the same prophetic story. Number one, 42 months times 30 days for each month equals 1,260 days. Two, 1,260 days equals three and a half years times 360 days for each year, which is 12 months of exactly 30 days for each month. Three, 150 days equals five 30-day months or five 30-day chodeshim. Four, 30 days is one full month that Moses is mourned. Five, 30 days is one full month that Aaron is mourned. Six, 1,290 days is 43 months of exactly 30 days for each month, which is dedicated to the abomination of desolation. And finally, number seven, 180 days is six months or six chodeshim of exactly 30 days for each chodesh or month in the days of King Ahashverosh. 
So you see, after reading through all of these scripture references and a lot more, it quickly became very clear to me that all prophetic biblical cosmology from Genesis to the book of Revelation is all based on a calculation of a 30-day chodesh or a 30-day month. I looked all through scripture, but I couldn't find any biblical texts making reference to a 29.531 new moon chodesh. I looked in scripture, but I couldn't even find an added 13th month for intercalation, referred to in rabbinic Judaism as Adar Bet, or the second Adar. But if you're looking hard enough, I suppose you can find it through interpretation. I looked in scripture, but I could not even find the validity of a 354-day annual moon cycle based on sighted moon Jewish reckoning of the Judeans or the Jews or the Pharisees. Also, I looked all over scripture, but I couldn't even find the validity of an intercalated leap month of 30 days added to the observance of the biblical Moedim or festivals every three years, which of course we know is based on Second Temple period Pharisaic Judaism when they were messing around with the calendar at that time. And finally, I looked in scripture, but I couldn't even find the validity of an intercalated extra leap day added every four years based on a 365.2422 solar year in order to preserve a precise biblical synchronization with the biblical Moedim or the festivals mentioned in the biblical texts of the Bible. You see, the Second Temple period sighted moon calendar that Judaism relies on today never makes any connections to the figures that are written down for us in all of Hebrew Scripture and including the Brihadashah, the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. So when I saw all of these unresolved issues, oy vey, I knew I had to make a spiritual course correction. And I did. And this led me to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says Jehovah, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in him. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in him. You see, that's what they said. But that's not what I said. And so, with trusting faith in Jehovah, I came to accept and walk in the old established biblical paradigm that the ancient Hebrews understood very well, at least since the days of Noah in the book of Genesis. The ancient biblical Hebrews always knew that from one spring equinox to the next spring equinox, a year had gone by. They knew that within a one-year period, there must be 360 days plus four precise one-day divisions based on the spring and fall equinox and the summer and winter solstice. Therefore, they knew that one year 
would encompass 12 months. And within those 12 months, there were always four divisions, or four quarters, each comprised of three Chodeshim, or if you will, three months. At the end of every third Chodesh, or every third month of 30 days, four times every year, a supplementary solar day of remembrance was acknowledged and counted as part of an overall annual calculation of 364 days for an entire year. Now, with all this said, I do have to take a break. Let's continue when I get back, and let's talk about the spring and fall equinox, as well as the summer and winter solstice. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 118. Here is your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and let's continue where we left off just before the break. The ancient biblical Hebrews always knew that from one spring equinox to the next spring equinox, a year had gone by. They knew that within a one-year period, there must be 360 days plus four precise one-day divisions based on the spring and fall equinox and the summer and winter solstice. They knew that one year would encompass 12 months, and within those 12 months, there were always four divisions, each comprised of three Chodeshim, or if you will, three months. At the end of every third Chodesh or every third month of 30 days, four times every year, a supplementary solar day of remembrance was acknowledged and counted as part of an overall annual calculation of 364 days for an entire year. Each of these four special days of remembrance are referred to by the Hebrew word tkufa, which means a completed or full circuit counting from a beginning to an end. The ancients thought of those four tkufot, or days of remembrance, as a seasonal intercalation or a reset four times a year. This special solar calendar was the very calendar that Paul and Yeshua referred to when they called the followers of that calendar the sons of light, and it was built to be kept as a spiritual or festival clock with all the totals divisible by the divine number seven, or what we could call a base seven numbering system. You can actually go to my website at www.cominghome.co.il Again, cominghome.co.il, and go click on free resources in the navigation menu. Then on the drop-down list, just click on podcast extras. There you will find a PDF and a JPEG of these times and seasons, or if you wish, the divisions 
that are going to be represented through one biblical calendar year. The Tzedok solar events are as follows. It starts off with a spring equinox, and some will call this the spring equilux because it represents an equal day and equal night. So this is the spring equinox, and that counts in the annual calendar as one day. Then there is the summer solstice, and that counts as one day. Then there's the fall equinox, or again, some people will call it the equilux because it's an equal day and equal night. So the fall equinox counts as one day in the annual solar calendar. And then there's the winter solstice that also counts as one day in the solar calendar. Consequently, a year was comprised of 360 days, which is 12 months of 30 days each, plus four days of remembrance, for a total of 364 days. And that 364 days is divisible by the divine number seven. With each of the four divisions in every year, there were four intervals of 13 weeks each. And within each of those 13-week intervals, you could count a total of 91 days. So what we have here in each of these 91-day divisions are as follows. Chodeshim, or months 1, 2, and 3, beginning with the spring equinox, that is called Division 1. It has 30 days, 30 days, and 31 days, because of that extra one day of remembrance, or that header, that's added to that third month. Again, total number of days in that first division is 91 days, or 13 weeks. Now go to the second division. That's Chodeshim, or months 4, 5, and 6. Again, based on day 1 of the spring equinox. So, in months 4, 5, and 6, which is division 2, we have 30 days, 30 days, and again, 31 days, where that third period of 30 days has the extra one day attached to it because it's a header or a day of remembrance. And that too has 91 days and 13 weeks. Now let's go to Chodeshim or month numbers 7, 8, and 9. This is division number 3 in the annual cycle of a year. And this has 30 days, 30 days, and 31 days. Again, adding one day to that last 30-day period, and again, that too is a header or a day of remembrance, giving us 91 days and 13 total weeks in that quarter or that division. And then finally, we have Chodeshim, or month numbers 10, 11, and 12. This is division number four in the annual biblical year, and those three months contain 30 days, 30 days, and 31 days, adding again that extra one day, that day of remembrance or that header to that third month. And that again gives us 91 days and 13 weeks. So you see, this is really pretty straightforward. Thus, according to the House of Tzedok Sons of Light calendar, 
The total number of divisions in one year, they are four. The total number of days of remembrance in one year, what we could call header days, they are also four. The total number of days in each of the four intervals of the three-month periods, they contain 91 days each. The total number of weeks in each of the four intervals of three months, there's a total of 13 weeks. Then, in one full calendar year in the Bible, we have a total number of weeks as 52, which is what I believe Yeshua was identifying with. So therefore, his ministry was 52 weeks. Let's continue. The total number of 30-day moon cycles in one year, there are 12. And the total number of days in a year, there are 360 days. But the total number of days in a year, when you add the four days of remembrance to that total of 360, you of course get 364. Not 365, not 365.25 days. Okay, with all this behind us, let's now go on to speak about year 27 of this common era as the beginning of all prophetic years in our messianic redemption. We'll talk about year 27 for the Passover and last week events of Yeshua. In this, I will attempt to show you a side-by-side comparison timeline between two different religious calendars of Judaism's Second Temple period and how they worked in connection with Yeshua's ministry. And once again, to help you follow along with all that I'm going to be showing you here, just simply go to my website at cominghome.co.il and click on the free resources tab there in the navigation menu and navigate over to the podcast extras where you'll find a PDF and a JPEG of two calendars that I refer to as Exhibit A and Exhibit B. They are based on the Roman Julian calendar from the year 45 BCE, or before the Common Era. Calendar Exhibit A represents the official Judean Pharisaic cited moon paradigm. And Exhibit B represents the Sadok Base 7 solar calendar paradigm. All of the Passover week events from both calendars, referring to the official Second Temple Pharisaic calendar and the unofficial Sadok Base 7 solar calendar, both of those calendars converged within 48 hours of each other in what we would call year 27 of this common era. Of course, I realize that not everyone will agree with this exact year of Yeshua's crucifixion and resurrection, as there are many opinions out there from people coming from all walks of life. Generally, most people date the events of Yeshua's crucifixion and third-day resurrection to year 33 as the fulfillment year for all of these events. For me, however, 
I examined many different chronology scenarios involving all of the 27 events that I came up with as they will be itemized in an upcoming podcast based on Calendar Exhibit A and Calendar Exhibit B. As a result of my own research, I found that all the important events of Yeshua's last week, they all line up in year 27 of this common era. Oh yes, they do. Candidly, in year 27 of this common era, all of the Passover week events timed out in a most precise way according to the Koine Greek accounts from the four gospel records. In fact, I was quite relieved that I did not have to squeeze and push and force or torture any of the chronology to arrive at my conclusions, which is why I selected year 27 for the fulfillment of all the events. You see, in that year, year 27 of this common era, the playing out of the time differences between Calendar Exhibit A and Calendar Exhibit B, they were separated by nearly two full days. Again, about 48 hours. In processing through all of the 27 itemized events, which I'm going to present to you in great detail in an upcoming podcast, do stay tuned, I found that this does not happen again in any of the other years that I examined between year 23 of the Common Era and year 37 of the Common Era. That's right. Between 23 and 37, this whole scenario never repeats itself again. In and of itself, I thought this was quite surprising. Modern academic scholarship seems to have now established a precise link between the present-day Gregorian Christian calendar and the much older Julian calendar of Rome which was also the signature calendar of Judea during the late Second Temple period. Historically, we should be quite thankful that Roman historians maintained such accurate records and dates of all the events that took place under their jurisdiction with that of the Caesars. For example, we know from Roman records that Julius Caesar revamped the calendar of his own day in what we would call year 45 before the Common Era, BCE. We also know that from Gospel writer Luke, who was a well-respected historian and physician of the ancient Greco-Roman world, that Yohanan, also called John the Immerser or John the Baptizer, he began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Here is Luke's written account. It's in Luke 3, 1 through 2, if you want to follow along with me. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor that year, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. 
the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The Koine Greek texts redacted downline from the Lucan records when John began his ministry shows us that Tiberius was in fact Caesar. Luke also tells us that at the same time, Marcus Pontius Pilatus, or Pontius Pilate, of the high and well-respected Roman equestrian order, was the prefect of Judea, and that in Jerusalem, Annas and Caiaphas were Judaism's high priests. So this said, let's now take a look at the account of Mark 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days Yeshua came from Nazareth of the Galil, or Nazareth of Galilee, and was immersed by John in the Jordan. Given all available Roman and Christian historical records, what we do know is that Tiberius, Pilate, Annas, and Caiaphas were all in authority, civil and state authority, and religious authority, at the same time when John the Immerser, or John the Baptist, began his ministry in the Aravah, or in the wilderness region of Judea, near the Dead Sea. It was at that time when Yeshua came to John for an immersion. And on this established fact, Luke writes in 3.23, Now Yeshua himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Turning now to the written records of Roman historian Tacitus, who lived in the mid to the late first century, he wrote that, quote, Christ was executed in Tiberius's reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. That's a historical Roman record written by Roman historian Tacitus. Factually, it is excellent information, and it confirms that Tiberius was, in fact, Caesar when Yeshua began his ministry. But what we also know from Roman archives is that when Tiberius began to be Caesar, well, he was already in a co-regency of authority with his stepfather Augustus Caesar in what we would call year 12 of this common era. Nevertheless, Augustus, the stepfather of Tiberius, died about two years later in what we would call year 14. Within one month following the death of Augustus Caesar, the Roman Senate moved quickly to officially appoint the stepson of Augustus, that is Tiberius, to the authority of Caesar. Again, recall what Luke writes, that John the Baptist, or John the Immerser, commenced his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius. This leads me to an important question. Do we calculate the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar from year 12, when he was in a co-regency with his stepfather? Or do we calculate Tiberius's 15th year from year 14, when he was officially declared Caesar following the death of his stepfather? Well, you see, finding an answer to this question 
will make a huge difference in determining the year of Yeshua's crucifixion and third day resurrection. According to many of the world's brightest minds of the biblical academic world of today, the 15th year of Tiberius should be reckoned from year 14 following his official senatorial appointment to Caesar after the death of his stepfather Augustus. However, not everyone holds to this position. There are some who say that the 15th year of Tiberius should include the two years when he was in a co-regency with his stepfather Augustus. However, from a Jewish Hebraic viewpoint, I am persuaded that Luke was deeply immersed in Jewish thinking as he was a constant ministry companion to Shaul or Paul. So along these lines, I cannot even imagine that Luke's perspective would be anything other than what the biblical Hebrew texts demonstrate. With this said, let's take a look at the matter of biblical Hebrew life and culture. I'm going to read something to you from Professor Nadav Naaman, Emeritus in Israeli Archaeology from Tel Aviv University. He wrote broadly on the subject of Hebrew co-regencies as they were in ancient Israel and Judah. According to one of Professor Naaman's peer-reviewed papers, he said, quote, In the kingdom of Judah, the nomination of a co-regent was the common procedure, beginning from David, who, before his death, elevated his son Solomon to the throne, when taking into account the permanent nature of the co-regency of Judah from the time of Yoash, one may dare to conclude that dating the co-regencies accurately is indeed the key for solving the problems of biblical chronology in the 8th century, as he's using the term B.C. So on the matter of co-regencies, according to Hebrew scripture, we have this historical record from 2 Kings 8, verse 16. Now in the fifth year of Yoram, the son of Ahav, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and Yoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began reigning as king of Judah. If you're reading along with me, you can see this statement expresses a co-regency between Jehoshaphat and his son Jehoram, revealing that co-regency was a known ancient Near Eastern custom. So considering this, let's once again recall the words of Luke in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You see, if Luke were writing his narratives from a Jewish Hebraic perspective, as I believe he was, then I think in his mind, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar would likely be calculated from the time when Tiberius was appointed as a co-regent, Caesar, along with his stepfather, Augustus. If I am correct, 
then the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar should be accurately reckoned from year 12 and not year 14. This means that John and Yeshua both began their ministries just prior to the Jewish Passover in what we would call year 26, because this would have been the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, calculating from year 12 when he was in a co-regency with his stepfather. Sorry, we're going to have to stop here because I'm out of time. But we'll pick up with this next week when I continue in this study of why I chose year 27 as Yeshua's year for his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. I hope you'll join me for that, Yah willing, when I return on the next podcast. So thanks for joining me today on this episode 118 of Real Israel Talk Radio. This has been part five in my series on the events that embrace the last Passover week of Yeshua. And if you should have any questions or comments, please do feel free to email me using the address questions at cominghome.co.il or visit my website at www.cominghome.co.il and go get yourself a copy of one of the free study resources that I have there to help you follow along with what I'm presenting to you. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il or www.cominghome.co.il Thanks for allowing me to come into your home and your life and share some of my thoughts on these matters with you. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio